This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. So Acts 4, uh, starting in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So these pictures that you see on this screen right now may seem unconnected, but they are, uh, they all show the same simple truth. And that truth is fighters need respite. Warriors need respite. From soldiers playing soccer as a break of the trench warfare in World War I, to boxers retreating to their corners between rounds, to knights resting during a duel, warriors need respite. They need rest and refueling and encouragement to keep fighting. Why do you say all that, Pastor? Well, because I believe that's the point of the text that we just read today. My first question always when approaching the Word of God is, why did the writer, the author, put this in the text? Why is this here? What's the point of this? And uh, when you're preaching an epistle, it's sometimes easy to tell, or a letter that Paul wrote is easy to tell. But in a story like we have, and Acts is a story, it's a narrative. And the question, uh, why did Luke include this? Well, in one sense, it's because this is what happened. That's why he put it there. But probably there was a lot of things that happened that Luke didn't record. Remember John at the end of the Gospel of John, he said, and many more things were done in the sight of the apostles, but these were written that you may believe in Christ and in believing have life in his name. So there was a reason why John included the stories that he did and Luke included this story. And why? Well, it shows here's Peter and John and they've gone before the Sanhedrin and they were questioned and they were persecuted and... They had a mission to accomplish. God had called them to a mission. That mission is grueling. So before they get sent back out again to preach again, to hit the streets, so to speak, again with boldness, before any of that, they find a moment of respite. They find a moment of comfort. Do you find you need some comfort and some encouragement along the way in your Christian life? Christian life is tough sometimes. And if you're fighting your own sin and you're passionate about standing for his name, maybe you've experienced some persecution, you're going to need some respite, some encouragement. 
I'm thinking about the moms in the room today, and we've got a lot of moms here, and some of you have at that little kid stage, and the little kid stage is grueling. Can I get a witness? It's grueling. I remember those days well. Maddie Grace was so terrible. You can just pray for us. <laughs> it's true, she says. She wasn't. Um, then the teenage stage is different. It's grueling in a different way, man. They always have problems. They always want to talk about their problems at 11 o'clock at night when you're ready for bed. Then they want to open up and it's, you know, there's some moms. I want to just give you some encouragement today as we just go to this text. So what, what did Luke write down? What do we see in this text that we can find encouragement in our walk today, in our fight, in, in our respite? So first of all, write this big idea down. I will rest in the comfort that God provides. I will rest and the comfort that God provides. And from that, what I want to do is show you five comforts from the text. Five, yes, I said five. Five comforts from the text that I want to show you this morning. So I want you to write this down for us. Here's comfort number one we can find. It's really the comfort of God's people, the comfort of God's people. Let's look in our text again. So again, Peter and John, before the Sanhedrin, they're chastised and they're told, don't preach that name anymore. And they say, well, we're gonna. And so they leave there and look at where they, they go. So here's verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends, is how the ESV translates that. But it's really interesting when you read it in the original language, because the original language could be translated this way. When they were released, they went to their own. They went to their own. That phrase is used a lot in the Bible. It's used of Jesus in John chapter 1, where he says he came into his own. The idea there is his own people, Israel. But here it's a much more personal context. These are the disciples. These are the ones that had the, the, the 12 apostles. Those were in the upper room together. This was his, the tightest group of people around them. And they went and they found comfort. They found comfort just being with God's people. God's people should be a place where we find comfort, right? Let me show you in the text where it says that. Here's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now watch. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. One of my favorite texts in scripture is Ephesians 4. It gives me my job description, but also the job description of every believer in the church. And here it is. Here's your job description. If you're a believer in Christ, it says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now watch. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a beautiful picture when you think about God's people being the place we go for encouragement. And, and when you're discouraged, when you're down, man, can you retreat to your own? And do you have people who love God that are around you, that are your, that are your own? In, in one sense, look around you. Come on, look around you. This is your own. This is your church family, right? Now, having said that, it's a big group getting bigger. Two services, and those are filling up, and guys doing some great things here, but it's a lot of people. And, and so what we've done is we've given you guys a small groups to find, to, to have your own people there. In fact, if you're in my small group, would you come join me up here for a minute? If you're in my small group, come on up here. Yes, I'm calling you up. Come on, get up here. And I had some in the first service, some in the second service, and it's good to see you guys here. And and this is my small group. This is my people. This is my own. 
And uh, um, we do life together. Uh, this past Wednesday, we met together at our house and we had some food, right? Darren had three plates. You should have seen him. Uh, we had some food. <laughs> Not really. And uh, uh, we opened the word of God together. We ate together. We talked about things. Craig led, talking about the Holy Spirit. Then, then we broke up into mutual ministry time. And the guys all went to the library. Matt led that time. And we and were asking the hard questions. What are your eyes looking at? You know, are you in the word? Are you leading your family well? And, and we're there. This past Monday, I was discouraged. And uh, so I picked up my phone and I telegrammed my guys, the small group men, and I'm like, guys, I'm feeling down today. I'm feeling discouraged today. Pray for me. And they lifted me up in prayer. And this is the people that I do life with. This is the people that are, that are my own. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. And it's, it's so needed. And I just want to encourage you. If you haven't been in a small group, you know, getting one, I know right now we're, we're some of you saying, well, I'm trying to, and we get it. We're, we're working at training up small group leaders. We're working at putting them out and keeping that ministry growing, but it's a really important part of what we do. Now, having said that, there are many within the church who would say, you know, pastor, I've done that, and it didn't go so well. Like, I, I got really hurt. By the church. In fact, um, if I was going to write a book, the book I'd like to write is a book called When Church Hurts. Because sometimes church does hurt. And then what do you do with that? I mean, God's word says, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to encourage one another, to love one another, to exhort one another. Yeah, but what if you did that and it hurts? Well, then what do you do? And can I tell you that we've been there? Courtney and I have both been very hurt by people who used to be in a small group with us and then kind of led the charge out of the church, and it was painful. And, and I know, maybe a leadership failing. Maybe you've had people who were, should have known better and done better in leadership, and they failed you and they hurt you, and, and my heart aches for that. It really, really does. But I want to tell you, encourage you, Try again, lean in, pray, ask God for help. And if you're really struggling with that, a couple of things that might help. First of all, we have a counseling ministry here that we'd love to just walk you through the word of God to say, okay, what does God's word say? How can I help you through this and lead you through this and find healing through this? Also, we did a sermon series several years back called When Church Hurts. And Scott doesn't know this now, but he does now that what he's going to do this week is find that sermon series and he's going to post it up online. And then the This Week at Redemption, uh, that's going to go out on our email where we're going to have a link to that sermon series. So if you want to go back and listen to that sermon series, When Church Hurts, and just to be reminded of the truths of God's word that you need to know to walk through that. But we're going to pray for you and pray with you over that. But just encourage you, try again, try again. We did. And we found a group that we dearly love and that dearly loves us. God's people should be a source of encouragement to you and a source of comfort to you. So a couple of questions. Do you have a people? Who is your own? In what ways are you leaning into your small group to find comfort and encouragement? You you can be in a small group and not lean into it. You can totally be there and wake up tomorrow morning and you can be discouraged and you can say, you know what, I'm just going to not tell anybody. I'm just going to keep on doing life without letting anybody know. You can do that. And you can be missing a great source of help and encouragement. What keeps you from leaning in? Maybe some pain. And again, we want to help you walk through all of that. So as you're looking for respite, find comfort in God's people. Find comfort in this too. Number two, find comfort in 
the power of godly prayer. Find comfort in the power of godly prayer. Let your eyes fall on the text again. So we see verse 23 where it says, when they were arrested, uh, released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, what they do, church? And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, let's put, they lifted up their voices together. They lifted up their voices. So show me this. How many of you were in Sunday school and you learned how to pray? Show me how you learned how to pray in Sunday school. Come on, show me. You fold your hands. Very good. You bow your head. You close your eyes and you, you pray very quietly. A uh, little, little, um, uh, something you may not know. That was all a trick from your parents just to get you to be quiet. That's all that was. That's all that was. Because in scripture, what we often see is this kind of thing, lifting up our voices to pray. Hey, have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever gotten in the woods alone with God and just lifted up your voice to him? God, hear me. Lord, are you there? God, I need you to come through for this. And, we, and together we can lift up our voices and pray. So they prayed uh, to God and, and they needed comfort. They needed comfort. And what they do, church, to find comfort, they, they prayed. They prayed. That's how they found comfort. And God's prayer, him hearing us cry out to him should be an incredible source of comfort, right? Here's Ephesians 4, 6, and 7. Ephesians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Hmm. Do not be anxious about, church? Okay. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise of his peace, mind-blowing peace. And how does it come to us? Well, it comes to us through, through prayer, through prayer. And again, I want to say, there could be people in the room right now that would say, uh huh. I know that's supposed to be true, but I don't find prayer all that comforting. If I'm being honest, because I've prayed and I've asked God to show up and He didn't, and it can be a real difficulty. And, and I've seen this to be true. I've I've had a chance now uh, to pastor for twenty. Five twenty-six years, something like that. And uh, um, when I was pastoring the church before I planted here, was a church that had a long history of the preaching of the word of God, which is a really, really good thing. But if that preaching of the word of God is not also uh, bolstered up with grace and faith and the truth of the gospel, there can be some really hard results of that because uh, you you do that enough and and people begin to believe, well, if I just do God's word, then God's going to bless me. All I got to do is just obey God's word and then God will give me everything I want. And that can, that can lead to bad places. And I had this, this woman in counseling at one point in time, and, and she grew up in the church. I mean, she grew up as a little baby in the church, and she, she memorized all the verses. She was the one that, that always had the verses memorized in Sunday school. And, and then after she graduated high school, she went on to Bible college. And after she graduated Bible college, she went on to seminary. So someone who had really had a lot of Bible training, and all along the way she was praying, God, give me a husband, God, give me a husband. And he finally did. And he wasn't Prince Charming. Courtney found that, but very few people, very few people 
find that. And their, and, and their marriage had difficulty and trouble. And, and I remember sitting in the counseling room with her, and I got frustrated in a moment, and I said, boy, you don't trust God at all, do you? And she said, why should I? Because I prayed, and he didn't answer, and I did all the right things, and I checked all the boxes, but he didn't show up like I thought he would. And so maybe that, that, that's, that's you and being honest and you've grown up in that and you've prayed and God hasn't shown up like you thought he would and now you're struggling with doubt and doubt is a doubt will kill the peace and the comfort of prayer. Here's James 1, 6 through 7. But let each of you, uh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. And I don't read that to discourage you, but I want to say to you, please listen to me. If you were here this morning and you were doubting God's love for you, please talk to somebody. Please talk to one of us. Because I want to help you to see and remember and to know your God loves you. And you can cry out to him in prayer. And prayer should be an incredible, incredibly comforting thing. And when we do, when we pray with faith, believing God, look what God will do. He answers their prayer. Let your eyes fall in verse 31. So Acts 4.31 says this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I was hoping a truck would drive by or thunder would clap or something, but we'll keep going. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, God like, like shook the place where they prayed. Man, I hear you. God will do that. God will blow our minds in our prayer. In fact, here's Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, which says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think. Did you read that? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations now and forevermore. It's awesome. God can do so much more. So let's go to him in prayer. Let's go to him in prayer. Now, some may doubt because they have prayed and God has said no. You ever had that experience in your life? Where you pray for something and God has said no to your prayer? I, um, I brought my prayer journal in and I got several prayers in here. And uh, I, I've told you before that if I look at the answers to prayer, there's three kind of main answers, ways that God will answer. Number one is yes. And that's by far what I see the most is yeses. And number two is wait. And I got some in here that, man, I've been praying for years that God has not necessarily answered yet. But uh, the Millennium Falcon should be uh, hopefully developed and, and on my driveway soon. So I've been praying for those things. And um, uh, uh, so, so but wait is another answer. And then the one is no. And, and I have some no's in here. I do. And here lately, there's been a couple that like have shown up in my prayer life that have been nope, nope. But here's something awesome. A no today is a yes for something greater later. That's what I found in my life. A no today might be a yes to something greater later. I remember praying really strongly that, that uh, I had an offer to be the, uh, 
discipleship pastor of a really large church, and I was going to step in and be on staff and not have to be the senior guy and be now on here. I'm going to lead this church into biblical counseling, lead discipleship. It's going to be real exciting. And God said no to that, and I was devastated. Like, really? Oh, man, come on. Had I done that, I never would have planted the church in Fort Wayne. In fact, when we were in uh, Chicago training to plant the church, it was between Fort Wayne or Cincinnati. And can I just admit to you, I was praying for Cincinnati. There were two million people in Cincinnati, and we can really get a thing going there. And I was praying, and God said no and sent me to Fort Wayne. And I love it. I found this city fits me so well. Do you know the birthday of Fort Wayne is 1022, what is it? Uh, 1794, and my birthday is 1022-1974. It's just weird, but I love the city of Fort Wayne, and I love being here. Um, uh, And I can look over and over again at just ways that God has said no, but something better has come outside of the no. And right now, man, I was praying for a property that I hope we would get. Right now, we need more property. We're getting full here. We got to get keep moving. We got to find that next thing. And there was one that came up. I'm like, God, please let that be it. And I, I fasted and prayed. And I think he said no to it. But you know what? I'm okay. Because I know he's got something better. We're going to trust him. So just hang on. Keep trusting. Keep praying. All right. Some questions to think through. How's your prayer life? Being honest. Do you struggle with doubt? Does that doubt hinder your prayer life? What would keep you from praying with others more? Finding comfort here from the text. We find comfort in God's people. We find comfort in the power of prayer. But check this out. This is incredible. We got to find truth in the sovereignty of God and God's sovereignty. Find comfort in the truth of God's sovereignty. Well, why do you go to that? Well, here's why. Take a look at the text again. So they're going to pray. We see that in 24. They lifted up their voices together. And I want you to look at the very first word of their prayer. So here's 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said church what's the first word of their prayer sovereign sovereign Lord that's the first thing they point to and they tie it to his creative power because then they say this who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them sovereign God sovereign God do you know what sovereignty means sovereignty means that God is in control of everything because he made it all he has a divine right to control everything check out this quote from R.C. Sproul R.C. Sproul said this if there is any element of the universe that is outside of his authority, then he is no longer God over all. In other words, sovereignty belongs to deity. Sovereignty is a natural attribute of the creator. God owns what he makes and he rules what he owns. That's our God. Here's a couple of verses to write down to look up later. I'd encourage you to write down Daniel 4.35. Daniel 4.35. This is Nebuchadnezzar waking out of his stupor. And he says in that text, God, you are the ruler of all the kingdoms. No one can stay your hand or say to you, what have you done? God is sovereign. How about Ephesians 1.11 where he says, write that down too, look it up later. Ephesians 1.11 where he says, and unto him who is able to do all, all things according to the counsel of his own will. All things happen to the counsel of God's own will. God is sovereign. And not only do they mention it here, But I want you to see in their prayer exactly what they mentioned because it's really, really interesting. Let your eyes fall on verse number 27. Here's verse number 27. 
Now they're going to quote scripture in verse 25. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But here's verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So, so remember Herod? Remember Pontius Pilate? Remember where that whole thing of what happened with Jesus with all that? Now look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Question, church, when is it hardest to trust the sovereignty of God? When is it hardest? When things are going great? When everything's happening the way you thought they should? That's, is that, no. It's hardest when everything seems to be going wrong. And here are the disciples. Now put yourself in their sandals. Here are the disciples. And they're with Jesus, man. And, and they believe, man, for three years, he's going to come. He's going to establish the kingdom of Israel again. He's going to march into the, the Jerusalem, head right to the governor's house, kick out Pontius Pilate, and start ruling himself. And the triumphal entry happens, and there's Hosanna, and there's praise. And he doesn't go to the governor's house. He goes to the temple, and he cleanses the temple. And then he's arrested. And then he's crucified. And the disciples, what do they do? They scatter. They run. What's going on? What's going on? God, I thought you had a plan that was different than this. And now look what happened. Had to be one of the darkest moments of their life. But now here they are. And they're looking back at what happened to Herod, what happened with Pontius Pilate, that whole deal. They're looking back and they're saying, God, this was all your plan. Because that meant Jesus went to the cross to die for my sin. That meant he rose again victorious over it all. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All of that happened, but God, you were at work through it all. God was at work through it all. Can you say that with me? God was at work through it all. That's who our God is. And now the very thing that brings them comfort is to look back and say, God, you are sovereign. As I look back at my life, some of the darkest moments were the moments where God was showing up to remind me of his love. When we lost our son, Andrew. When Courtney got cancer. When that teen died in a house fire in my youth group when we stepped into a difficult ministry and tried to get that moving, and that was hard. Man, just fast forward to our time in Fort Wayne, church split, house fire, cancer again. And the one thing that I can stand here and say without any shadow of a doubt is God was faithful through it all. And God was at work through it all. And I know now more than ever that he loves me. And his sovereignty is such a comfort. Do you struggle with that? I mean, come on, do you struggle with that? God, are you really in control? Is that really okay? Spurgeon said this, and I love this quote. God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you must trust his heart. I want you to find comfort in God's sovereignty this morning.
God is at work through it all. Say it again with me. God is at work through it all. What do you need to say that over in your life right now? Or church, listen, what do you need to look back on and just finally surrender to the fact that God, even in that thing that I didn't like, still don't like, I'm going to trust you and you are sovereign and you're going to work it. You're at work through it all. What do you believe about God's sovereignty, church? What do you believe about God's love? Those two things have to go hand in hand. And what might need to change in your mind to find comfort in God's sovereignty? We're finding comforts that we can run to for respite. I want you to find comfort from God's people. I want you to find power in godly prayer. I want you to lean on the truth of God's sovereignty. It's such a great thing to know. He is in control even when it seems like everything is in chaos. My God is in control through it all. And then this as well, write this down, the surety of God's word, the surety of God's word. Well, Pastor, why are you going there? Good question. Go back to verse number 25. So we see in verse number 24 again, they heard it, they lift up their voices. What do they pray? They pray to a sovereign God. And what do they pray? Look at the first thing they do when they mention his sovereignty. Next, they go to this. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kingdoms of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were guests. So they point to the events that were happening. So, so here's what they're doing. They're quoting Psalm 2. And in their minds... In need of comfort, in need of encouragement, they go to God's word again. Again, they go to God's word. One of the things that has stood out to me so much in this study through Acts is how much they go to God's word. I mean, I've been through a college course in Acts. I've preached through some portions of Acts before. I've studied Acts in my personal devotional life. And somehow this, this time has really been standing out to me how often these guys go back again and again and again to the word of God, to the word of God. And here it is again. They need comfort and they go to Psalm 2, which is clearly a messianic psalm. By the way, Psalm 2 is where in verse 7 it says, kiss the son lest he be angry. The son, and now we know he's talking about Jesus. And this is all about Jesus Christ. You need comfort, they go to the word. They need a comfort, they go to the word. A church, when we need comfort, we should? All right. Because that's the first time you've ever heard any pastor tell you you should be in the Word, right? <laughs> we've heard it, and we've heard it, and we've heard it, and we've heard it. And uh, um, I, think, I think part of the reason why that's still hard, because if you were probably would be honest with me, it's still a struggle to get in the Word. And we say busyness, and I get that. But I, I really like tacos, and somehow I'll find a way to get them into my life. You tracking with me on this? Somehow I'll squeeze them in. Not, not daily, uh, not tacos daily, but uh, you get the idea. Um, I, think, I think what happens is we feel beat up by the word. And so therefore going to the word isn't very attractive to us. Like I feel like I'm going to get slaughtered here. I feel like God's going to show me what an idiot I am if I go to the word. So I really don't want to start my day out that way. So I won't go there. And, and so I want, you, have to re- you have to know the whole story of the Bible and you've got to read it in light of the gospel. I'll say this. God's word, when read rightly and understood in light of the gospel, will bring amazing comfort to our souls. Let me say that again. God's word, when read rightly and understood in light of the gospel, will bring amazing comfort to your souls. Like, I can't wait to get into the word of God. It's so comforting. I, um, I'm going to show you. This is um, one of my oversized sweatshirts. 
I say one of mine because I have several of these bad boys now, but, but only recently because I wasn't wearing them until a couple of years ago. And, and Courtney and the kids, I think for my birthday, they got me an oversized sweatshirt. And she was like, hey, would you ever wear this? I'm like, mm, you know, I'll try it out. So one night I put it on. Oh, it was warm. It just felt like I was being hugged. And I'm like, how did I ever live before this day? And not knowing the joys of an oversized sweatshirt. And right? Can I get a witness? And if, and if you're not there yet, I want to just ask you to come to the altar to, to this afternoon and put on my oversized sweatshirt. But it is, it is a glorious thing, man. And, I'm, and so now nightly, it's like, I'm, whatever I got to do, I'm getting my oversized sweatshirt on. And I'm going to cuddle up and chill out a little bit. And uh, once you understand the word, and this is serious now, once you understand the word of God and what a comfort it can be to your soul, man, you long for it. You can't wait to get into it, but read rightly and understood in the light of the gospel. So when it shows you your failings, yes, but you know what you can do with your failings? You can run to the cross of Jesus Christ and find him forgiving you again and loving you again. And so often, there's just such comfort there. Encourage you, find comfort in God's word. All right. Hopefully, you can draw some application questions from this. What keeps you from reading the Bible more? Don't tell me a busy schedule. I get it. Tacos. Any questions? And then, what keeps you from finding comfort from your reading? And maybe it's a lack of grace. Maybe you need that more. Respite, comfort, rest from God's people, from prayer, relying on the truth of God's sovereignty, going to the surety of his word. I love how they, you said this was going to happen right there in Psalm 2, Lord. You said this was going to happen. This was happening. It doesn't shock us. Your word revealed it. But now I want you to see where they go next and write this down. The assurance of God's work. The assurance of God's work. This is cool. Check this out now. They give God their request in verse 29, and there's a reason why they request this, and I want you to see this now. So they're going to ask God of something, and then they're going to tie it to something they just believe, their faith. So here it is, verse number 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Hey, we're on a mission here. It's to get the name of Jesus out to as many people as would hear it and believe in it. We want to see the name of Jesus go forward. So God, we're going to go out again. Yes, it was hard. We were, we were chastised by the religious elite. We did a good thing and they dragged us to trial. But you know what? We're going to do it again and give us boldness to do it again because we want to get the name out and we believe that you're going to do miracles. You're going to do signs. You're going to do wonders for the glory of your name. And they believed it by faith and that charged them up to keep going. Hey, do you believe that God will use you to do great things for his glory? Try that again. <clears throat> do you believe that God will use you to do great things for his glory? Yes. Please believe that. Mark Fleggy believes it. You ever talk to Mark Fleggy? Okay. Make sure you have about an hour on your schedule and then go to Mark Fleggy and say, hey, Mark, would you tell me about Egypt? And then just buckle up for some incredible stories because there are some amazing stories that Mark 
will share with you as he's just seen God do an awesome work in Egypt. The pastors and I all sat and we invited Mark in to tell us, and he had a whole slide presentation. It was really cool. But he told us of this event, and they were in Egypt a couple of years ago where uh, the churches kind of gathered together, and they put a rally on, and there were thousands of people that came. But here's what's really cool. Listen, in Egypt, in the Middle East, over 800 people came to Christ at this event. Does God do stuff like that today? Yes, he does. Believe and step out and see God do incredible things. We're going back to Egypt sometime and seeing God do more. And why Egypt? Because Egypt can be a place where people can come to know Christ and get spread all throughout the Middle East. It's really unique about how they're more open than other Middle Eastern countries, but a lot of Middle Eastern people gather there. And if we can preach Jesus and get people Christ known there, man, we can maybe reach thousands and thousands. In fact, God's doing it in South Sudan. He gave this testimony to us that in an event they had, a big rally of all their churches, 14,000 people profess Christ. Well, we don't ever see that here. Are those numbers accurate? We don't ever see that here in America. No, we don't, but, but, but maybe we need to. And maybe God would use for Redemption Bible Church in Fort Wayne to do that. God's at, at work. God's at work. And I want to be a part of that. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you believe he will? And I hope that your belief and faith that he's going to do incredible things for his name gives you energy in your respite to go out and to do it again. To preach the gospel and to see God move. Now here we are, reading a story about how God's people gathered together and they prayed for comfort. They prayed for several different things. So how should we end our service today? Would you gather somebody near you and take a moment and just pray through the things on your screen? Ask God to do those things in your life. And find comfort. And I'll come up here and I'll close in just a moment. Let's pray. So God, we um, just ask that you would hear us as we lift up our voice in this place. Fort Wayne needs the gospel. And we are the ones who you have saved and called us to be ambassadors. And right now, we want to say by faith that we believe you're going to do miracles through us for your glory. Father, we believe that the most impactful days of redemption are yet ahead and that there are people who will come to know you as Savior. There are lives that will be changed forever, for eternity, because of the witness of the people in this very room. And so, Lord, would you give to us what you gave to them, a boldness. We thank you that you're a God who wants to comfort us, and you know just the things that we need. And my prayer, Father, is we'll leave here encouraged and fired up and ready. Give us boldness and for your glory and for your name. Amen. All right, Redemption, thank you. You are loved.